is Baseball Tonight, the podcast. This is the Baseball Tonight podcast for Monday, December 5th, 2022, and today will be better than yesterday. Producing from the pulpit is the Reverend Taylor Schwenk. Working from the hangar is Sarah Abbott. How are you guys doing today? Lovely, Buster. Great weekend. How are you doing? I'm doing okay, Sarah. I'm just living my best life, so I'm doing great. Nice. Uh, I am Buster only, and I'm in my home in Montana. Uh, There's all kinds of conversation. It feels like across the country in baseball today because of the signings, the deals, the speculation that's going on. Winter meetings have started, uh, but the deals started before the winter meetings. On Friday, we got word Jacob DeGrom, five years, $185 million with the Texas Rangers. There's so much interesting backstory to all this. We're going to be talking about that with Dave Schoenfield. Chris Martin, reliever, who pitched really great for the Dodgers, got two years and $17.5 million to some of the Boston Red Sox. The Milwaukee Brewers traded Colton Wong to the Seattle Mariners. Jesse Winker going to Milwaukee in that deal. Kyle Gibson has a one-year contract with the Baltimore Orioles. News broke that Brian Reynolds, the Pirates center fielder, has requested a trade from the Pirates. And Dave and I will get into the question of whether or not requesting a trade actually makes a difference. And last night, uh, the special committee working for the Hall of Fame uh, announced that one player uh, was elected to the Hall of Fame, and that would be Fred McGriff, the longtime slugger first baseman for the Toronto Blue Jays, for the Atlanta Braves, for the San Diego Padres, et cetera. He gets in. Barry Bonds, Roger Clemens, Kurt Schilling, Don Mattingly, Albert Bell, uh, Dale Murphy, among those who were not voted in. I'll tell you why. I think this is kind of a joke, the process that they continue to rely on to determine whether or not these guys should be in the Hall of Fame. Here was Fred McGriff last night after he learned the news. I've been totally blessed all the, all over the years. Uh, this is just ice, icing on the cake and for to be unanimous. It's a beautiful thing, you know. Because <laughs> I, I, I had a lot of prayers out there, you know, last month. Or so everywhere you go, man, Fred, we're playing, we're playing for you, man, we're playing for you, <laughs> and so forth. And then, because it, it gets a little tough, you know, over the years, you see the ex-players and everything, and they come up to you and like, man, Fred, you should be in the Hall of Fame. You know what I mean? And you're like, oh, thank you, thank you, thank you. So hey, I'm in. <laughs> Yeah, Fred McGriff, that was him uh, speaking with MLB Network last night. I covered him as a player with the San Diego Padres. He got traded to the Braves during that time. I bumped into him on a plane a few years ago, and he talked about that, the long wait, because he was one of those guys affected by the logjam of steroid-era candidates uh, and the fact that so many of those guys hung around the ballot. McGriff affected all these years, despite the fact there was never any indication that he used PEDs. All right, Taylor, what else you got? Buster, yesterday was Selection Sunday in college football. We've got our semifinals all mapped out. And on the College Game Day podcast, Pete Thamel and Reese Davis came together to talk about it after they were both on TV for about 37 hours straight. So you should check that out. Always College Football with Greg McElroy also covering that. And we're doing an episode of SV Pod tonight. Uh, where Scott and Steve will touch on the weekend in college football and the NFL. That'll be out tomorrow morning, Tuesday. Check all those out wherever you listen to your podcasts. Dogs are an important part of our lives, and keeping them protected is a top priority, especially against nasty parasites. That's why you got to check out NextGuard Plus, a Foxaloner, Moxidectin, 
and pyrantal chewable tablets. NextGuard Plus chews provide one and done monthly protection that kills fleas and ticks, prevents heartworm disease, plus it treats and controls roundworms and hookworms. That's a whole lot of protection packed into a delicious beef flavored soft chew designed to make monthly dosing easy and enjoyable. So the next time you're at the vet, ask about NextGuard Plus Chews. They're the one and done monthly parasite protection you want for your dog. Used with caution in dogs with a history of seizures or neurological disorders. Dogs should be tested for existing heartworm infection prior to starting preventive. For the ones who get it done, Granger offers high quality supplies and solutions for every industry, as well as access to product specialists who have the knowledge and experience to answer your toughest questions. Plus, their commitment to being your safety partner can help you keep your facilities safe and your people safer. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Welcome to the show! Welcome to the show. Welcome to the show, mate. Welcome to the show. Whoa! Welcome to the show, baby. You're in the show with David Schoenfield. David Schoenfield, the covers baseball for ESPN. Dave, how you doing? I'm good, Buster. Uh, living life here in Connecticut. Hope things are uh, well out there in Montana. Yep, uh, absolutely. I did eight inches of snow today with uh, <laughs> the snowblower. Uh, you know, I, there's part of me that wishes I could be in San Diego. And on the other hand, with all the uh, executives now locking themselves in their private suites and getting a lot of bad room service food, uh, I don't know how how uh, how different it would be. <laughs> anyway, uh, so Friday night, we get really a huge move. The Texas Rangers signing Jacob DeGrom. Tell me what your first reaction was. Well, no surprise. I mean, I had predicted that that's where DeGrom would go. I think as you wrote in your column on DeGrom leaving the Mets, um, there was just no feeling that he wanted to play there. Was not ever really a big city guy. Didn't love dealing with the media, with the Mets. And look, the contract the Rangers gave him was going to be hard for any any team to match. So uh, they were desperate for pitching. They got their guy. We'll see how this plays out. It could be an A-plus contract if he stays healthy, and it could obviously be a disaster. Yeah, and let's let's dive into the, the all the elements of this um, and start with the DeGrom leaving the Mets. And, you know, based on the reporting that I did over the weekend, this is kind of how it played out. Sometime before Thanksgiving, as you know, he opted out of his contract last year, his contract with the Mets uh, in spring, he, he made that clear in spring training that he was going to do that. Even though he didn't really pitch that much, uh, he, he still followed through and he did that. Uh, just before Thanksgiving, the Mets made him an offer, three years. It was about $115 million or so, which is, I think you would agree with me, pretty damn respectful offer. Like, it's not like they lowballed him at $37.9 million a year over three years. Would you agree? Yeah, no doubt. I mean, look, we got to remember, as good as this guy was, and the first half of 2021, I think you would agree, Buster, that was the best pitcher we've ever seen. Better yeah. than Pete Pedro Martinez, better than Pete Greg Maddox, Randy Johnson, and so on. But he's made 26 starts over two seasons. So, you know, are you going to go, if you're the Mets, are you going to roll into, you know, 2023 banking on a healthy Max Scherzer and a healthy Jacob DeGrom at about, you know, 40 plus million each, you know, 
Now they might end up doing that anyway with Justin Verlander, but that's a lot of money for two guys at, at that age. And, you know, in DeGrom's case, his injury history. Yeah. So they made him that offer. And then the Mets, you know, knew that DeGrom would, uh, you know, his, his agents would do their job and they'd go out and, and use that offer to, to, you know, to potentially build other offers, shape other offers. The Mets never heard from DeGrom's camp until the phone call went to Billy Epler, the general manager of the Mets, about an hour before news broke that he was signing. There was no more negotiation. There was no more, uh, here's our offer. What do you think? Do you want to increase the offer that you made? Now, what DeGrom did, he had uh, you know conversations with the Atlanta Braves, which you, know, you and I talked in the past. That seemed to be, based on his conversations with other players, the place he really wanted to go. That was the team he rooted for as a kid. But the Braves were not going to give him, you know, the sort of contract that the Texas Rangers wound up giving him. So he decides he's going to go with Texas. Uh, there's no counteroffer from the Mets, no opportunity for a counteroffer from the Mets. It was like his last uh, connection with the Mets was, you know what, thanks for that offer. I'm going to go shop it around, get a better offer from another team, and I'm, le- I'm, gonna, I'm taking the first boat out of town. Like, I yep. can't wait to get out of town with the way that this felt. <laughs> Uh, in terms of him leaving the Mets. And in fact, you know, and I wrote about this in the piece that I did over the weekend, you know, there had been this sense within the organization that he he was kind of distancing himself, you know, not to say he was a bad teammate, you know. uh, In fact, I I had people tell me over the weekend, he was a great teammate when he was in those stretches of years when he wasn't getting any run support and a teammate, you know, would make an error that would cost him a game or they wouldn't score runs. And he would always say the right thing. He would always do the right thing, but he wasn't around as much because he was, you know, getting treatment. Um, You know, there was a sense within the clubhouse that he was closer to the players this year, but last year he wasn't as close. And they just got the feeling that he, he he was ready to go to the point that in May uh, early this year, there was a text message within the organization where one person predicted to another, yeah, he's going to pitch the end of the year, then he's going to go sign with the Rangers. And that turned out to be exactly the case. Yeah, and look, ultimately, I don't think this is the worst thing for the Mets. You yeah. know, they got a lot of holes to fill yep. with DeGrom, Taiwan Walker, and Chris Bassett, three starters all in free agency, Brandon Nimmo's in free agency. They re-signed Edwin Diaz, but they still have some holes in the bullpen to plug. So, yeah, Steve Cohen's going to spend a ton of money this offseason, but on some level, they do need to spread that out. Now, they may end up giving Justin Verlander, you know, the the contract they offered DeGrom at, you know, that kind of money. Um, but, you know, they're going to end up spending a ton of money, Buster. Their payroll, no doubt, to me, is going to have to go way over $300 million for them to contend this year. I did one estimate just bringing back one ace, re-signing Bassett, bringing in an outfielder, their payroll could be $340 million, which would shatter any previous records. But um, they're going to spread that money around now, and I think that's okay. Yeah, and so between those uh, payroll concerns and DeGrom's injury history, uh, the word that I was hearing uh, from folks that I spoke with was relief. The yeah. Mets, you know, with as much respect as they had for DeGrom, there was some relief that, whoo, we, we didn't want to be the team with that contract, five years, $185 million, And we don't know the specifics of the six-year option. But what I was told was, no, that, that, uh, that option is so attainable that it's basically a six-year deal. 
that could be worth $222 million, Dave. Um, and, and I get it from the Rangers' perspective. I feel like, you know, this is a franchise that, you know, they opened a new ballpark at the outset of the 2020 season. Surprise, uh, you know, uh, you know, world pandemic. Uh, they didn't really get the jump start that they probably wanted. They haven't uh, really improved within a division that's incredibly competitive. So last winter, they go out, they sign Corey Seager, they sign Marcus Simeon. And I, I think that this is really an organization trying to restart the franchise and, and announcing to its fan base, look, uh, we, we got elite players last winter. We got elite players this winter. Come and watch us play. Does that make yeah, sense? Yeah, and look, you're in Texas. You got to go big. You know, you got to bring right. in some big names to bring in the fans. What I'm curious, what are the next moves for the Rangers? Um, historically, they're, they've never run a payroll over $200 million. Um, So are they going to push that up to that? tax threshold of 233 you know so that gives them room to make a couple other significant moves i think they could use another starter they could use an outfielder you know i think Corey seager without the shift is going to have a monster year there's some studies that have shown no hitter has been hurt more by the shift than Corey seager so i think he'll have a big year marcus Semyon after that terrible start was very good the, the final four months. So we'll see, but they got to add more to really make this move pay off. It makes sense to me that although I, I you know, my sense was that Grom might have been willing to put himself on a platter to go to the Braves, that in the end, they weren't the team that spent that kind of money, Dave, because they don't really have to. No. You know? <laughs> I, they, they, they've got plenty of pitching. They're an excellent team. There are other ways to go for them other than to to lay out an investment on a guy who's really injury prone. Yeah, the Braves have more restraint than any other organization, and they can do it because they've extended all their homegrown products or the extended Maddles, and they've never signed a free agent to a $100 million deal. They've given those contracts to their own players, but never to a free agent. So, that was, I don't think, ever in the cards for the Braves to give DeGrom a $100 million plus contract. All right, let's talk about some of the other news that uh, has been made in terms of guys, you know, moving from one team to another. Colton Long gets traded by the Milwaukee Brewers to the Seattle Mariners. The Mariners, we know, were looking for another left-handed hitter. They were looking for a second baseman. And Colton Long is one of those guys. I think the perception is with the rules against defensive shifts, it only increases his value, Dave, because he's been one of the best second basemen in baseball. Yeah, he, and he's added some power to his game, doesn't strike out, just kind of a nice, solid, all-around player. I know his defensive metrics actually did drop off a little bit last year, though. I guess I've read he played through some leg injuries, but he's been a two-time gold glover in the past. Exactly what Seattle needed. Jesse Winker from reports out of Seattle and kind of a – worn out his welcome there, you know, uh, but you had had a great 2021 with the Reds. So the Brewers are hoping for a bounce back from him. So to me, kind of a trade that makes sense for both teams. We get word over the weekend that Brian Reynolds, the center fielder from the Pittsburgh Pirates uh, for the Pittsburgh Pirates has requested a trade. I spoke with some agents who thought this is kind of silly. <laughs> <laughs> like they, their feeling was, and he turned down, uh, a big offer during earlier in this offseason, and he's requested a trade. I don't really get the point of requesting a trade or letting you know letting that get out there. What do you think? Yeah, you know this. 
look, I, this happens all the time in the NBA, right? Par for the course. We don't see this in MLB. And, you know, no offense to Brian Reynolds, nice player. He was an all-star in 2021 when he had his career year. But is he a good enough player to, to demand a trade buster? I don't know. It's a little bit of a, a weird situation. We all get what's going on in Pittsburgh. Um, but, you know, he's got three more years of team control. So I don't know if you're the Pirates. Do you want this guy on your team? You know, he's a valuable player. You'll bring back a lot in a trade. Do you want an unhappy player? I guess that's what Reynolds is hoping for, that uh, the Pirates will just say, all right, we don't want you anymore if you're going to act like that. But if I know Ben Charrington, who's a general manager of the Pirates, and I know that, you know, this world of modern analytics that we're in, uh, the front offices typically will hear requests like that and, and be like, yeah, okay, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> like, we, we don't care what you want, what you don't want. Ultimately, it comes down to whether or not someone's willing to give the Pirates what they're going to ask for, which yeah. is a lot given the, uh, you know, the, the, the heightened need now for guys who can hit from the left side of the plate, as Reynolds can. And given the need for a center fielder, I think the Pirates are going to go. Yeah, thanks for the input. Um, we'll just see what uh, what kind of offer the you know the Toronto Blue Jays or some other team makes to us. Yeah, and I think uh, don't you think the first domino here is Brandon Nimmo's sign? No doubt, he's the only you know center fielder out there in free agency. So once he goes, then the interest and the demand for Reynolds will suddenly get a lot higher. So I think this you know, this will have to take a little time to play out. Yeah, I know the Yankees have talked about him in the past as well, and maybe if Aaron Judge leaves uh, and the Yankees are, you know, left to pivot and do some other things that, uh, you know, that potentially could be a way to go. You could build out, build a an incredible shutdown outfield uh, defense, which is, a, you know, in keeping with the Yankees' direction recently. Um, I, I mean, a lot of teams you could see where Reynolds could fit because even if, you know, they don't necessarily want to play him in center field. He could easily move to a corner and and uh, be someone who could help other clubs. Uh, the Orioles signed Kyle Gibson to a one-year deal. I don't think this fits the definition of significant increase in spending yet, Dave. What do you think? Yeah, not yet. You know, not the worst fit. He's a fly ball pitcher, but that's now not the worst thing in Camden Yards. Yeah, you know, Buster, what I'm curious is, is you know, we head to the winter meetings. Those teams that are around 500 last year, the Orioles, what are they going to do? The Giants, we know they have money to spend. We'll see who they sign. The Cubs, the Red Sox. What kind of push are those 500-type teams willing to make? Because the Orioles, they could sign Verlander, Judge, Chris Bassett, (laughs) and still be way under a $200 million payroll. You know, they've run high payrolls you know, in the past, not too recent past. Um, But the indications are they seem seem to be uh, heading to a little more conservative winner that I think Orioles fans would like. Okay, one decision that hasn't been made yet uh, is that by Justin Verlander on where he's going to land next. Um, you know, in the, uh, the I guess, the predictions we sent out on ESPN.com this morning, I wrote about how this feels like it's coming right down the same path that Trevor Bauer did when he was a free agent when it came down to the Mets or the Dodgers. What yeah. do you think? Yeah, it feels like that. Look, we know the Dodgers, they don't like to give long-term contracts to pitchers. So Verlander's the perfect fit, whether that's a two-year deal or a three-year deal. Uh, we know this guy wants to keep pitching. He wants to win 300 games. He won the Cy Young Award. 
even though he's 40 years old, I love the gamble on Justin Verlander. And I think the Dodgers, you know, are an absolute perfect fit for him. What about the Mets? Yeah, they're a perfect fit for the Mets too. But again, if I'm the Mets, I still would prefer to parcel that money out. If I'm the Mets, I take my 40 million and give some of that to Carlos Rodon and some of it to Chris Bassett. I'd take the two pitchers over the one at a sort of similar overall price. Okay, so I'm going to play another game of uh, shortstop musical chairs with you. I love this because the the answers could change. (laughs) It feels like hour to hour, day to day, with the predictions on where some of these guys are going to land. So I'm going to give you a name of a team, and you tell me where that player is going to go, okay? Okay. Uh, Dansby Swanson, what team does he sign with? Oh, that's the one I don't know. I'm going to – you should have started with the easy one. Who did I? I actually predicted the Dodgers for Dansby Swanson, but I don't know if that's going to play out. So can we go back? Can we start with the other? <laughs> <laughs> You're going to talk yourself into a, a pick here. <laughs> I'm going to talk myself into Dansby Swanson after I land the other guys. <laughs> uh, Carlos Correa. I'm going Giants with Carlos Correa. Yeah, you and I felt the same way when, you know, hearing that the Giants are now willing to sign a shortstop, I'm like, you know what? That's the pivot if they don't sign Aaron Judge. Aaron Judge is the first domino, yep. and if he doesn't, Aaron Judge doesn't go to the Giants or if he doesn't go to the Yankees, uh, those respect two teams respectively will pivot in another direction. And I think that, uh, you know, I, I think Judge, or excuse me, that Correa absolutely is a great fit for the Giants. All right. Yeah. What about um, what do I go Trey Turner too? I've I've been with the Phillies all off season with him. Yep, that's where we are. Xander Bogarts. I think in the end he's going to resign with the Red Sox. I think that door is closed. I think okay. it's slammed shut. I think there's a locker on a lock on it. I think he's angry about how the negotiations played out in the spring. He's yep. looking for another opportunity. And I think if uh, Aaron Judge signs with the Giants. Xander Bogart's going to wind up with the Yankees. He's going yeah, to the Yankees have to pivot, you know. Um, yeah, and the key there is how willing is Bogart's to move off shortstop? Maybe play shortstop one year for the Yankees until Anthony Volpe is ready. Um, so we'll see. But that, I, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I'd love for the Orioles to get it on Bogart's too, and they can play Gunnar Henderson at third base. All right, so now we're back to Dansby Swanson. <laughs> now that I bought you some time to make that choice, <laughs> I, I guess I would. I guess I'll say the Cubs. Although Nico Horner, he had a really good year last year. Good defensive metrics, but they could slide Horner over to second base, play Bogart or play a Swanson at shortstop. I just don't know where the Cubs view themselves in this rebuild. Are they willing? and ready to spend that kind of money on a very good player. But, you know, Swanson, are you paying him for his career year? No, you're paying him for what he's going to do down the road. And I don't know if he's quite as good as he was in 2022. I'd say this, I'm I'm more skeptical than ever that Dansby winds up back with the Braves. Yeah. I feel like that the Braves at this point, if that's going to happen, the Dansby's going to have to take about $25 million less then he could get as a free agent from a team like the Cubs. And by the way, I should have started with this. I agree with you. I think the Cubs. Okay. I think that's where Dansby's going to wind up. Uh, and the Braves have to go above uh, and spend more than they really want to. And I don't think they're going to do that for a couple of reasons. A, we've talked about their discipline. 
Um, you know, in the negotiations with DeGrom, I think they would have the same thing with Dansby. Uh, and the other thing, too, is, is that they're so locked in in other spots. Uh, you know, first base with Matt Olson, eight-year contract, second base, Ozzie Albies, third base, Austin Riley, center field, Michael Harris the second, et cetera, et cetera. You know, Ronald Cooney Jr. out in the outfield. I don't think they're necessarily brokenhearted that they wouldn't have a ton of money committed at shortstop. And they do feel like they potentially have some internal options. Does that make sense? It, it does. And what I wonder too, you would know better than I on this, you know, if you find Swanson and at the numbers we're hearing well above a hundred million, suddenly you're paying him more than you just gave Michael Harris, more than you gave Ronald Acuna, you know, is that a effect in the clubhouse? Swanson, good player, but I don't think he's as good as those two guys. And like you said, the internal options, Von Grissom, he came up last year, hit really well. I'm not sure if he's a shortstop, but, you know, he was a shortstop in the minor leagues. I think they could give him a chance and see if he can handle that position defensively. Yeah, and their number one pick in 2020 uh, or 2019 was Braden Shoemake, yep. who reached AAA this year. So, you know, that's a way you can go. And I, and I also say this, uh, when you talk to Dansby Swanson, who I've gotten to know because he went to Vanderbilt, I went to Vanderbilt, there definitely is a, a thing uh, with Vanderbilt players. Well, guess who used to be a Vanderbilt player? Uh, Carter Hawkins, the general manager of the Chicago Cubs. Okay, could, there you uh, go. Who's could do the secret handshake with Dansby Swanson. And and I mentioned that to somebody over the weekend who knows uh, Dansby. He goes, okay, done deal. <laughs> you know, another thing, Buster, too, is, you know, again, with the shift, you know, going away, or at least the extreme shift, up the middle defense is going to be more important than it's been. So you, if you have a middle infield of Swanson at shortstop yep. and Nico Horner at second base, you're really locked in at those two positions. And that's, I think a lot of teams are really going to be looking at how good is our middle de- middle infield defense. Yeah. And I think Dansby uh, is the type of player. I mean, let's face it, the Cubs are early in their rebuild. He's the type of player you feel good uh, building around. You know, because yep. he's a great team guy. He's a terrific person. Uh, he he has experience. He's won a championship. And so you're going to feel really good about that. And he's durable. Plays every day. Every Doesn't miss a game. That's exactly right. All right. Um, let's get to the uh, special committee's Hall of Fame vote from last night, which makes me pull my hair out. Um, <laughs> you know, we should give kudos first and foremost to Fred McGriff, the crime dog. Yeah, no doubt. You know, what, 493 home runs, over 1,500 RBIs. Um, you know, some of his numbers got lost in the offensive explosion um, in the steroid era in the late 90s. But look at his numbers from the late 80s through the mid-90s. He was as good a slugger as anybody in the game. So I think we all knew he was going to get in. Okay, now that we're done with the riff. <laughs> I just want to say I find this to really be kind of a joke. <laughs> I find the process to be a joke because guess what, Dave? Even though all these guys have graduated off the writer's ballot, we're right back to the same problem that we had with the writer's ballot, and that is something created by this ballot limit yep. for the voters. Okay, it's not the Baseball Writers Association of America anymore. It's a committee made up of uh, you know Hall of Famers and executives and writers, a handful of writers. And each of them are given, there's 16 of those, and they're given three votes apiece. And so if you are Don Mattingly, 
if you are Kurt Schilling, if you are, yeah, I mean, Fred McGriff, who was named unanimously, you're not really being judged in the merits of your career. Right. You're being judged by how you fit in among that group of candidates. And so if you're Don Mattingly, okay, you might have some core voters who would say, boy, he was a, an elite player, top of the, you know, he was at one point the best play, posi- uh, player at his position, one of the best players in the game. But then you look at his career numbers and guess what? They pale in comparison to Clemens and Bonds. Right. If you are a writer or a voter who says, I'm okay with Bonds and Clemens despite their steroid stuff, you might feel like, man, I don't know if I can vote for those guys because they're not going to get in because you're hearing the room. And so you might say, I'm going to use my ballot for Dale Murphy or Albert Bell right. <laughs> or Schilling or whoever. But the the ballot limit really makes a muck of this whole thing. Yeah, it does. So if you add up McGriff got all 16, Mattingly got eight, Schilling got seven, Dale Murphy got six. So they got 37 out of the possible 48 overall votes. Right. The other guys got less than four, but conceivably could have gotten the other 11. So everybody could have filled in their maximum of three players. But again, because you're limited to just three votes, only Fred McGriff gets in. So you're right. It's it's the same issue with the BBWA vote when you can only vote for up to 10 guys. So you are limited. So it does become a lot of politicking. I can only imagine what that room was right was like with everybody. Do I vote for Mattingly or Murphy? You know, Bonds and Clemens had no chance with the way that committee was was set up. The one guy I was a little surprised um, was Kurt Schilling, because I think aside from his other stuff. Post-career tweets. Yeah, take out his tweets. To me, he should have been in a long time ago. You know, 80 career war, you know, 11 and two, two low two ERA in the postseason. He he would raise the standard of Hall of Fame pitchers, you know, and he still can't get in, um, which a lot of that's his own fault. Um, but he's he is a qualified player for what he did on the field. I would love to hear somebody at the Hall of Fame explain the limit of three in the ballot and just yeah. and, and explain why three is the number, why it's not two, why yeah. it's not four, why it's totally arbitrary. And, but, it, and it takes the voters away from a simple question that every candidate should be judged on, which is, is the guy a Hall of Fame worthy uh, player? Was right. his career Hall of Fame worthy? That's what should be important. Not whether or not you feel like you can squeeze him in among Bonds and Clemens and McGriff. And that's right. what I cringe for the guys like Mattingly, for Schilling, for guys who, uh, who you know, that's not how they should be judged in this process. I mean, I, 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 I don't know either. I guess the concern is if you allow any number of candidates theoretically to be elected, you end up lowering the standards. But not to be too cruel here, but a lot of our recent Hall of Fame inductees via the Veterans Committees, you know, no offense intended, have been some very marginal candidates. Um, So you've already kind of been lowering that bar in recent years. Um, So there's sort of attempts to put limits 
on the number of inductees isn't working anyway. You know, we're still getting a lot of players elected and that's great. I I'm a big hall kind of guy, um, but you're not raising the standards. It's been lowered in recent years. And guess what? You know, these guys now have to wait a few years to be back yeah. on the special committee ballot. Maybe you don't feel sorry for bonds or Clemens and they think you should feel sorry for Don Mattingly, whose career is not being looked at uh, on its own merits. You know, right. Albert Bell is not going to be looked at by the special committee based on the merits. Schilling, say, it, it's inane, and I don't understand why they continue. And, I, again, I, maybe I'll reach out the Hall of Fame and get somebody to try to explain why three. And this whole – Buster, this whole ballot was weird. Dwight Evans was on it last time and got eight votes. You know, you need 12 to get in. Yet this, so he got more than Madden Lee or Murphy last time. Yet this time he wasn't even on the ballot. I actually thought this was an attempt to get Madden Lee and Murphy into the Hall of Fame. This was probably their best chance, knowing most likely that the PED guys weren't going to get much support. And But again, because of the three-player rule, only McGriff gets in. There you go. All right, Dave. Well, you and I will be ranting about that <laughs> the rest of our lives, I suspect. We And we didn't even talk about the whole steroid stuff, which is a whole other ridiculous conversation. All right. Good to talk with you. All right. Thanks. You can now stream the most MLB games on DirecTV without a satellite dish. Yes. The clutch hits, the strikeouts, grand salamis, web gems, with nothing on your roof. So whoever's up there, whether it's roofers, Santa, birds, old-timey chimney sweeps, moody teenagers, thrill-seeking raccoons, you name it, they won't find a satellite dish. But you will find your MLB games on DirecTV. That means DirecTV is your home for baseball this season. Root, 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 with nothing on your roof. Call 1-800-DIRECTV or visit directtv.com. Sign up today. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. We're driven by the search for better. When it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites according to a recent Indeed survey. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of the show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash Buster. Just go to Indeed.com slash Buster right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash Buster. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This is the Numbers Game with Sarah Langs. Sarah Langs, reporter, producer for MLB.com. She is in San Diego. Sarah, if I had known you were in San Diego, I don't think I would have asked you to get up early to do this with us. 
The only thing in the world that I will ever get up early to do is do this podcast with you. I've told you that. I've told Taylor that. I think I've said that on here. So I'm always, always glad to do so. Well, uh, I know you well enough to know that that is definitely not true because you would get up to do any kind of work around baseball. If SportsCenter <laughs> called and said, we need you to join, if uh, Map Excursion, you know, in the morning show wanted you to join, you would do that because that's uh, that's the type of co-work you are. All right. I just uh, was railing with, with Dave Schoenfield about the special committee vote yesterday, and we didn't even get into the whole issue of, you know, uh, a PD guys and whether or not they should be in the Hall of Fame. I just can't believe we're in the same spot we were in the writer's vote, Sarah, that the ballot limits, again, clearly to me, are an issue when it comes to assessing these players, you know, put in many, many years, and we get into, you know, Don Mattingly, a Kurt Schilling, uh, you know, an Albert Bell, a Dale Murphy, they get into this situation where they're eligible for the Hall of Fame and they're not really being considered in a vacuum. You know, their careers are not being considered just simply on what they accomplished or didn't accomplish. They're being considered based on, geez, how do they rank among, you know, these other eight players because they put this ballot limit of three? What do you think? Yeah, it's really tough. I mean, in certain ways, it feels like it's a more difficult ballot because these ballots are more handpicked and all of the guys on these ballots are thought to be, to my estimation, guys who were close, missed out, deserve that second chance. And we all know that there are always guys who fall off in their first year on the main ballot, not getting 5%. And it's an accomplishment for a career just to make the ballot, of course. But there are always guys you look at and you know, oh, he's absolutely not going to be there. So that removes a little of the clouding when you're trying to get to your 10. But when you bring it down to an even smaller number and you take away the dilution of the actual ballot, I do think it makes it really tough. I think the public perception of what it was going to be. We found out about a year ago that they would be on this ballot if they didn't make it is very different from what actually happened. I think people hear special committee, they still think of the old veterans committee and they really think of a jury of your peers. And they're like, well, baseball people know that statistically X, Y, and Z are Hall of Famers. But when you have so few choices to actually make, it gets so much more complicated than that. Yeah, I was thinking about, you know, one of the people on the committee, for example, Susan Slesser, who writes for the San Francisco Chronicle. I don't know, uh, you know, who she voted for or not, but I'm just, you know, ma- imagine putting myself in her position. Uh, they have the conversation among the group. It's pretty clear McGriff is going to get in. So, you know, it's a, a place you're probably going to vote there. I suspect, based on her votes in the past, that she would she would does think that Bonds and Clemens deserve to be in the Hall of Fame. But at some point, if you only have three votes and you're hearing the room, you're probably thinking, you know what? These guys aren't going to get in anyway. I might as well try to use my vote for someone who might get in, whether it's a Don Mattingly or a, another player. It complicates it in a way that I just don't think is fair to the player, Sarah. Yeah, I agree. And I see... You know, I think the results we got and the fact that nobody else really came close sort of prove what you're saying. 
you definitely get the sense just looking at how the vote shook out that there were those kinds of decisions being made. And again, I just come back to there's a higher percentage of individuals who you can make a really good argument for them being a Hall of Famer on this ballot than on the main ballot, I think. I mean, it depends on a given year. That's that's a great point, Sarah. But I just think overall, this is a tougher ballot. And I think people see it and they think, okay, you get that second chance. But it's a little more complicated than that. It's much more complicated. And these guys are going to get caught up uh, just as they did when, you know, Bonds and Clemens first and, and Sammy Sosa, Mark McGuire, and all those guys first appeared on the ballot. Yeah. The log jam is going to continue. And until the, the Hall of Fame steps in and changes that, you know, the, the, the ballot limit of three, that's going to continue. You know, every year you're going to have a lot of players not judged on their merits, but judge how they rank. Uh, you know, the voters ranked them uh, among the group. All right, let's play the numbers game. Number three. Number three is 31. So you just said judge. And I'm going to use that as a pivot to talk about Aaron Judge. So there's been a lot of talk about him lately with the idea that nine-year deal is kind of what's on the radar for him. And of course, we know he's an older free agent. He debuted a bit older. You know, we're not talking about Bryce Harper when he was a free agent a couple of years ago or Manny Machado. So Judge will be 30 on opening day, but on baseball reference, you go, you see an age season. So what that is, is a guy's age on June 30th. It's kind of arbitrary, but the idea is how old will he be for most of the season? Aaron Judge is in his age 31 season next year. There have only been three guys to sign a free agent position player contract of at least nine years where they were in their age 31 season or older in year one. Albert Pools in 2012, that was his age 32 season. Alex Rodriguez in 2008, that was his age 32 season. And Robinson Cano in 2014, that was his age 31 season. So, of course, no disrespect to those players who all had very great careers. But the first thing I think about is that none of those contracts, the final year, went the way the team would have wanted when they signed. Right. We know what happened with Bulls and the Angels. Alex Rodriguez, of course, had that game in August and then his career ended. And Robinson Cano's contract ended with the Mets and differently, of course. So those were all 10-year deals. The number out here is nine right now. It seems like I've seen that around. But either way, I mean, unfortunately, there is that cautionary tale. Now, of course, no one is a slugger like Aaron Judge. We'll see how that ages. Number two. Number two is 314. So, you know, thinking about that idea of how certain skills age, Trey Turner, since 2018, has 314 more bolts than anyone else in baseball. A bolt is a stack-ass stat, which is a competitive run at elite speed. So that's 30-plus feet per second sprint speed. He has 314 more of those than anyone else in baseball 
since the start of 2018. He has 561, Ahmed Rosario's 247. So I have been thinking about this a lot, and we don't have a definite answer, in part because the ways we can measure speed now, which go beyond stolen bases, are relatively new. But I'm curious what front offices are thinking about Trey Turner and how his legs will be in five years, because his defense has regressed in recent years. We know the hit tool, and it's good, and that will stay. But a lot of why you were signing him is that X factor he has on the base pass and the way that he uses that when he plays the field with his speed. So I have no idea how to know what that kind of lead in bolts might look like in five years. But it's very interesting to think about how fast will he be running in four or five years. Number one. Number one is 188. So that is the opponent batting average against Jacob deGrom since the start of 2018. So there are only a handful of pitchers to have a sub-190 opponent batting average in the span of starts that he has made since 2018. So that's 102 starts. The only guys to have that low of a batting average in 102 starts span since the mound was lowered are him, Pedro Martinez, Nolan Ryan, Max Scherzer, and Justin Berlander. So the reason I bring that is that obviously that's outstanding to have that low of an opponent batting average in that span. But 102 starts since 2018, this entire stat encapsulates what are you dealing with with Jacob DeGrom? That's two seasons with 32 starts, then the pandemic, and then 15 starts and 11 starts. So this is what you get with Jacob DeGrom. You know when he's pitching, he's at a Hall of Fame level, but I have no idea how you project how many of those Hall of Fame level starts you will actually get. So I mentioned to Dave that uh, based on the reporting I did over the weekend that, you know, the, the Mets reaction uh, to the ground contract was, A, they weren't surprised. There folks, you know, predicting during the season that he was going to go and, and pitch with another team. And two, while they have enormous respect for DeGrom and, you know, his competitiveness during games, there was also the word that was used with me was relief that they are not the team with that contract. What do you think? I mean, I think to me, just like the Hall of Fame, the word is complicated. I think it's more complicated than that because, you know, I mean, I would expect that once a guy leaves, you're not going to say, oh my gosh, we miss him so much. But there's no question that, again, this is a Hall of Fame level pitcher when he's pitching. But the relief comes in with the idea of you just have no idea what to expect yep. in terms of injury. And I come back to this is the guy who has had an unprecedented, unprecedented excuse me, rise in velocity. Nobody has at the stage in his career when he started throwing 99-100 done that. And so now you have a guy who is older, but does older even play in because he debuted older as well? 
and you're trying to manage all of these different precedents and figure out how they apply to him. Meanwhile, he made 11 starts this year, so it's just very hard to know what to expect. And so I understand feeling, hey, if we had given him that contract, we're sitting here dealing with whatever might come of it. If he doesn't pitch, if he gets hurt in spring training, you know, I understand the idea of maybe let another team deal with it. But hey, my first thought when I saw that contract was a little cheer for our friend Bruce Bochy because I love the idea that he might have been involved in recruiting him or whatever else it might have been. And I love the idea that he gets an ace for that staff. Yep. I, I wrote in the piece over the weekend that he, uh, you know, he had a Zoom call with uh, DeGrom and DeGrom's wife, and, and he came away incredibly impressed uh, with, with this. And he was just surprised when Chris Young called him on Thursday and said, this is a day before the Mets found out about it. Uh, you know, he got a call from Chris Young saying, Jacob wants to come with us. Bochi was like, you're kidding? <laughs> really? He thought the process would take out longer, but I think it was pretty yeah. clear that Grom was uh, ready to go to the Rangers. Sarah, thanks for doing this. Have fun out in San Diego. Thanks so much for having me, Buster. Bleacher Tweets. All righty, Buster. Bleacher Tweets for Amundi and Bleacher Tweets are brought to you by Dr. Pepper. It ain't college football season without the delicious taste of an ice cold Dr. Pepper, the one fans deserve. I got to mention, Buster, you... Threw this out there to uh, actually got two things for you. First of all, Carter Hawkins, Vanderbilt guy. I don't think you've mentioned that on the podcast. So I'm glad that the uh, the Vanderbilt Mafia got the shout out today. <laughs> I feel like that one's flown under the radar. Uh, yeah, I, I, I and let's see how this goes. But uh, maybe you'll bring that back if, in fact, Dansby winds up with the Cubs. What do you think? <laughs> yeah, oh, definitely. We'll we'll chew on that if it if it comes to fruition. Let's go to the tweets. Blade Bigler writes in with the Degrom signing. I feel like the Rangers are definitely on the upswing. What say you? Yeah, they're trying to build a pitching staff. You know, they've got Gray. They traded for Odorizzi. They signed re-signed Martin Perez to that uh, that qualifying offer. Now they have Jacob Degrom. And from what I understand, they're still in the conversation for another elite starter. And they have to be that aggressive because they're in the same division as the world champion Houston Astros, the Seattle Mariners who are getting better, uh, the Angels who are trying to win. They're trying to rebuild their team. They also have the Oakland Athletics who are not trying to win. Hmm. David Fitzgerald at Dave Fat Kid writes, and when I see a backloaded big contract, I assume that means they'll trade the player for a Dr. Pepper and a bag of chips down the road. Does anyone ever offer a front-loaded contract so they can add pieces when the player's talent declines with age? Yes, uh, there are teams. And just one example, I know that Brian Cashman, the Yankees general manager, when they've had negotiations, he doesn't like backloading contracts. He feels like that in the end, it puts you in a bad position, uh, as as you mentioned, David, when the player is not as productive. He'd rather have the contract, uh, you know, paid out evenly over the course of the deal. Um, and, and I agree with you. When you see backloaded contracts, uh, you assume the player is going to be traded. The best example of that recently was John Carlos Stanton. The moment that you saw his deal, you're like, okay, they're going to keep him around for a couple of years. And as it turned out, they were going to, you know, push up the value of the team. And then, uh, you know, sell the team and sell the player. Next up, Portland Maverick at the Battered Bees writes in, RIP Gaylord Perry, Eddie Harris from Major League Sure seems like homage to the great Hall of Famer. His monologue to the wild thing on doctoring the baseball is hilarious. Perry was amazing. 314 wins in 569 decisions. Hard to even contemplate today. 
Yeah, he he was fun too. You know, he seemed like he really enjoyed it. Uh, you know, every uh, my interactions with him, he was always joyful. Uh, he was always uh, having fun, making fun of himself. You know, playing up with the spitball thing. He he was he was a a great guy to have in the Hall of Fame every year. Don Irvine writes in, don't forget to congratulate Tim Kirkshen on his induction to the Montgomery County Sports Hall of Fame. I feel like Tim's Woo-hoo! in all the local Hall of Fames, right? Way to go. Well, Tim is in every Hall of Fame that there is. Yeah, yeah. You know, <laughs> he might be in the NFL Hall of Fame for all I know, the way he's going. <laughs> going to Canton, baby. Ehart tweets, our pal Elizabeth writes in, the hanger for Sarah and the podcast podium for Taylor. I approve trade market. Now, what do we call your studio's buster? I had a thought. How about okay. you're a Montana guy? It's snowy outside. Okay. You talked about how eight inches last night. How about the lodge? Okay. Uh, yeah, let me process that. Let give me it, think give about it some that. Thought. Give it some thought. But, yeah, yeah, I like that, though. Okay. That, that's a good candidate. All right. Working from the lodge. Yep. You know? Uh, yeah, yeah. And if you, you know, if you go somewhere else, like Spence, Texas baseball fan, is, is throwing out here, you know, we've got different studios. The dungeon was great. Uh, Bristol can be the mother, mothership. Um, you know, and other names for other locations. So Buster, let's, let's, let's keep turning those wheels here. The yeah. writer here. Uh, the, we'll, we'll, we'll definitely get it right. Uh, before we go guys, I want to ask you each what, uh, you know, do you agree with me? What I was talking about with the hall of fame ballot that they shouldn't be doing ballot limits. They should either, they should just give a simple question. To every player is the guy worthy of the hall of fame. Agree, disagree. Yeah, of course. They're, they're bogged down in the process. What are we doing here? It's such an unproductive way to, to go about this, and it's all flown back in their faces uh, somewhat predictably. Yep. Sarah? Yeah, I agree. I mean, I, it's just so overcomplicated, and it doesn't need to be. And yeah, 100% agree. Awesome. Yeah. You know, great minds think alike. Mm, that's indeed, for sure. Indeed. Uh, that's it for today. My thanks to Sarah, Dave, Sarah, and Taylor. Have a great day, everybody. Thanks for listening. Uh, during the course of this week, we'll be having podcasts as news dictates. So in other words, if we get a big signing today, we get a big trade, we'll be back on Tuesday, uh, you know, running through all that. Remember, hate and inequality based on skin color is something we need to fight against every single day. Have a great day, everybody. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Call 1-800-DIRECTV. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. Terms or restrictions apply.